Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. A good mentor once told me that every good sermon starts with telling you what I'm going to tell you, tell you, and then tell you what I've told you. So now that you're all confused, we're perfect. I have three points today. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower, the soil and the seed, primarily, specifically, okay? We're going to talk about the sower, and then we're going to talk about the increase or the growth. So, coming out of Luke 8, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, starting at verse 5, I'm going to read, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell on thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the disciples asked them, right? Lord, what does this mean? Jesus was gracious and explained it. Look at verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. The devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life, but bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground, well, they are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Simple enough, right? If it's okay with you, I'd like to use my own testimony to tell us this parable and to walk us through this story. Now, keep in mind that this is very vulnerable with me, so I might have to just stick to it and, and read through my notes. Um, and so, as we look at these four points, it's easy to see that, um, it's easy to pick out the four gardens, right? Do we have any gardeners here? Anybody gardeners? All right, three of you are gonna get my message. <laughs> But for us that are visual learners, for me it was very helpful to, to pull out images out of this. And so what I want to do is read the parable one more time, but this time with a visual for you. And then I want you to remember this visual as we walk through this sermon. Okay? So, my first picture, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. Most translations say the path where people walk. And it was trampled, and the birds of the air devoured it right? Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture, water, right? Think about the desert and the rocks. They bear fruit, but how long is that flower going to last there? And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, okay? It's not that it's not trying to grow, it's that the thorns are too heavy and choked it. But others fell on good ground. It sprang up, 
yielded crop a hundredfold. And then when he had said these things, he cried, he who has ears, let him hear. So I told you I wanted to use my own testimony to walk us through this parable. You see, I feel like I've been at each of these gardens throughout my life. First, starting by the way, wayside. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved, right? I remember as a little girl going to church on special occasions. My parents used to take us whenever there was a wedding, a first communion, a baptism, a quinceañera. I grew up Catholic. Yes, you guessed it. So, you know, we did it as a routine, an expectation. You were expected to go to church before the party, right? Before you bought the tamales outside of the doors. So... Because we walked out of those doors without having received anything, that seed fell by the wayside. You know, I'd hear a word or two. Sometimes I'd hear a song that I really like. But as soon as I moved on to the next thing, walking out of those doors, the devil scoped out the word, lest I believe and be saved. Sometimes even today I ask myself, do my kids come to church because I expect them to? Has it become a routine in our lives that we get up every Sunday and just come to church because it's what we've done all our lives? So is it an expectation or do we come with listening ears to receive from God something that he's going to tell us or grow us today, right? Let's keep going. The rocky soil. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy and these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. Fast forward to 1996. Will and I were married. I became a young mother, both high school dropouts. We left South LA to move to Minnesota. Now, why Minnesota is another story and a testimony for another time, okay? <laughs> However, once we got there, we both started working at McDonald's, making big money. We were balling, $7 an hour. I know, some of you look up Google balling, okay? But <laughs> nevertheless, the minimum wage in LA was $4.25 at that time, so that was big money for us, right? We were both managers. I was opening the store. He was closing it. I worked 5 to 2. He worked 3 to 12, so we didn't have to pay for a babysitter. We felt like we had arrived. We were doing what we were supposed to be doing. We had one day a week off, Sundays, so that we could um, spend time together as a family. So the store manager one day asks us, what do you guys do on your day off? We thought, well, nothing. We sleep in and watch TV, right? And she said, do you want to come to church with us? We usually go out to eat after. All we heard is we go out to eat after. So we said, yeah. <laughs> so Karen invites us to go to church with her, Rivers of Living Water. I'll never forget that church in Minnesota. We start going to church. This was different for us. I had grown up Catholic. Will had grown up Jehovah Witness. Again, a testimony for another time. But um, as we started going to this church, we started seeing people with their hands lifted high, tears in their eyes. We didn't understand it. As a matter of fact, we often went into our car when we left and made fun of them because we just you know, didn't realize that there was a connection between God and the people. So we start going to Rivers of Living Water, and um, a seed starts getting planted, right? One day, our little Tony falls ill. He was eight months old. I think I have a picture of him. 
So he was eight months old and it was our first winter in Minnesota. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night with him burning up and um, just, just feverish and hot, right? So I wake Will up and I say, hey, call the advice nurse. You know, I didn't know how much Tylenol to give him or what, but I knew he needed Tylenol. I didn't know how much to give him. Call the advice nurse. And I'm holding him in my arms as Will is on the phone with the advice nurse. And then Tony just starts shaking. You know, now I know he was having a seizure. I didn't know that back then, but now I know he was having a seizure and he starts shaking. And then he starts intermittently gasping for air after the seizure <gasps> and stopping. <gasps> and my heart dropped. And I could hear him choking on his own mucus. And so the nurse tells him to get off the phone and call 911, right? So Will calls 911. I wrap my baby up in a blanket because it's January and it's snowing and the winter of Minnesota is the winter of Minnesota. And I run down the stairs. I didn't cry. I didn't scream. I walked down the stairs to meet the ambulance by the front of the apartment building so that they could get to me as quick as possible. That's what my mentality was. But we lived in a cul-de-sac. And so if you see where we lived in the cul-de-sac, we were at the X. Okay, and so as I saw the ambulance come towards me and my baby is still gasping and trying to breathe, they drive past us and they miss their turn. And my heart drops. But there was a police car right behind them that didn't miss they, their turn and they drive right up into our cul-de-sac and they pull up to me and all I could hear was the guy on the radio saying, turn around, you passed it, you missed it, while the other cop runs out of the car, takes the baby from my hands, unwraps the blanket and then starts doing the Heimlich, right? Turns him over and starts doing some rescue breathing for him. The ambulance arrived what seemed like seconds later. They rushed us both in and then they continue to work on Tony. I'm in shock. I'm young, I'm a teenager, I'm in shock. Will's driving behind us in a hurry. And so we get to the hospital and they poke and prod my baby, right? They do catheters and IVs and spinal taps and everything with three nurses holding him down and he doesn't move. And all I could see is this limp child on a gurney, not moving, everyone else nodding their head and saying, I don't know, well, what else? Well, what do you think? It's a teaching hospital. Residents are talking, they're all talking in front of the parent saying, well, we don't know, what else can we try? And needless to say, he gets admitted. He spends three days in the same state, unarousable limp. So Karen and Paul Dean on the third day come and visit us. They pray over our baby and they say, hey, we prayed for him at church. And I thought, oh, thank you. Okay, well, what else do you say during that time? We thank him and, you know, we receive him. My focus and my eyes were really solely on what are the doctors saying and what are we doing for this baby? Now, my mom had offered to come, but quite frankly, I, I had told her no. You know, my mom couldn't miss too much work at the time, and I knew that if she had to come at some point, because I was expecting the worst, then I would probably need her later, right? So, on the third day, we waited for more tests. Will talked me into going home to take a shower. I don't know, maybe I started to smell. But by then, um, and I'm sorry, let me back up a little, because Karen and Paul Dean had come and said, you know, can we pray for him? They prayed for him, and then they said, the pastor and his wife want to come and pray for Tony. And again, I thought, these people don't even know us. Why, you know, why do they care? But, you know, we said, okay, sure. The pastor and his wife come and join us at the hospital, and they pray over our son, and then she says something to me. She turns to me and says, have faith. And I smile, and I thank her, and I give her a hug, 
Now, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant, but you know, I remembered what she said. So on the third day when I go home and shower, on my way back to the hospital, I think I was gone for maybe an hour, I stopped by the McDonald's to pick up breakfast for Will and I and to tell our boss how we're doing, thank him for giving us the time, right, to, to deal with our son. And so on my way back, as I got closer to the, to the hospital, I remembered the words that she said. I remembered her saying, have faith. And at this point, we're on day three, and my baby hasn't woken up. And I remember my exact words were, Lord, I don't know if you're real. I don't even know if you exist. But if you let me keep my baby, I'll never doubt you again. That's all I said. So this was 1996. I get to the hospital, and as I'm walking up to the floor where the pediatric floor where the, the, the babies are, I see a bunch of nurses gathered outside of his room. And as I'm walking towards them, they say, that's her, that's the mom. And then they disperse. I'm telling you, I've learned so much about healthcare since then. <laughs> but my heart dropped again, because why are they all gathered outside of his room? And they leave as soon as I'm walking close to the door. And I walk in, and you know the curtain that's drawn between the two beds? My son's on the bed by the window, and so I'm walking in with breakfast in hand, and I turn over, and Will's leaning over the crib, looking at my son, and he's hanging by the rails, turns to look at me, smiles, and says, Lechita. Google that one. It's milk in Spanish. <laughs> but I drop whatever I'm carrying, and I cry, and I hold my baby. Now, I'd love to tell you that that's when I gave my life to Christ and it grew root. But remember, we're talking about the rocky soil here. The seed was planted. Nonetheless, like some desert gardens, it sprung up, but it had no root. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So what happens a couple of months later? We move back home because that's, after that experience, I wanted to be closer to family. I received God's blessing with joy and I didn't doubt him. I promised him and I said, I'll never doubt you again. I believed for a while, but being back home with the temptations of our youth and having no root, no foundation for my belief, I withered away. I wasn't ready. Sometimes we don't want to be ready, right? We believe for a while, we receive the word with joy, but in times of trouble, when temptations come, we fall away. I mean, think about it. We know that the word says to present our bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable and holy unto him. But when temptation comes, we say, not today, God. We're called to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. But when we leave these doors, we say, not today, God. We're called to bear fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But when we're at work, not today, God. People in my age weren't at church. They were in the club. They were drinking. They were at barbecues. Giving up Sunday sounded like a high price. I didn't want people to know I was going to church. It wasn't cool. So the pastor, his wife, Karen, Paul Dean, they had planted a seat, but there was no root. And among the desert rocks, there was no water being poured. 
I lost sight of him. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. So now among the thorns, even if as we left Minnesota and moved back to LA, I never forgot about my promise. There was something missing in our lives and I knew, I felt the tug. I lacked joy, I lacked happiness. A few months later, we picked up and moved to New Mexico. We figured two states over was better than many states over and we had heard that the winters in New Mexico weren't as bad. So <laughs> we tried finding a church here and there. We'd visit different services. But again, the pleasures of life, having better things to do on a Sunday, outgrew the routine of going to church. Okay, we were overwhelmed by the cares of this world. We were fighting and arguing, worried about finances, trying to keep whatever word we were hearing from taking root, holding on to a job, not understanding how to be married, overburdened and choked. So like in the picture, the seed was planted and it tried to grow. You see some green in there, but it wasn't being watered. The wall of thorns was too heavy. There was a lot of hurt, a lot of anger, unforgiveness of our youth. And it became too heavy. I mean, I know this one is hard for you to relate to, but have you ever come to church angry at your spouse? I mean, knowing that it's not silly and not worth it, but women unwilling to lose the battle. I mean, come on, our pride can take over and sometimes be bigger than our joy. And so when the word of God is spoken, the heavy thorns keep it from growing or really taking any root because of the unforgiveness or the argument or the hate that we bear sometimes. Am I the only one? Okay. So now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. But those that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word and with a noble good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So finally, I had had enough. We had had enough. A year after New Mexico, Will joins the military and moves us to Germany. Germany, we're alone again, depressed, far from friends or home. And again, I remembered my promise to God. Nothing had changed in my situation. The cares of this world were still there, in the rocks, in the thorns. It felt overwhelming, anger, depression, unforgiveness, bitterness. But I carried with me the seeds that people had planted, seeds that kept trying to spring back up. I began to commit my heart to change and really seek to understand him. I sought to prepare my own soil. The first thing I did was buy a Bible. I bought a Bible. With Will gone for weeks, I started attending the Protestant and Gospel Military Chapel services any chance I got. Wednesday night Bible study, Friday joy night, Saturday women's services, Sunday services, right? I wanted to understand what was this tug in my heart? What was this seed that people had planted? And I had a lot of questions. 
I'm sure that they got tired of me. I had a lot of questions. But God was now laying a foundation. And my soil was prepared and ready. Hearing the word with a noble and good heart. I gave my life and accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior in February of 1998 at a military wives home group. A home group session that was the foundation necessary for the seed to grow in good soil. Turning my life over to God, I remember saying, Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you loved me so much that you died for me so that my sins can be forgiven and that you rose again on the third day and still intercede for me whenever I fail. Okay, so maybe it wasn't that dramatic. But that's exactly how it felt inside. Maybe I didn't say it out loud, but I got to tell you, my heart felt it. I finally understood what he had done on that cross for me. I finally understood that no matter how many times I said I was sorry and that I wouldn't do it again and that my sins were carrying me down, no matter how often I did that, until I grasped that he was the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God that died so that that could be possible, it, had, it could not take any root. So as we move into Holy Week this week, I'd like us to think back on the day of your foundation. When you gave your life to Christ and truly believed in what he had done for you, that we can be born again and forgiven because of his ultimate sacrifice. That's the beginning of good soil. Is your soil ready for a seed? Let's talk about the seed. Because now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Have you guys caught that I've been saying that every time? The seed is the word of God. What do we know as the word of God? Most of us know the word of God to be the Bible, right? We know that the word of God is in this book. We read out of this book, we're planting seeds. We sing out of this book, we're planting seeds. We're supposed to pray in alignment with this book, and that's planting a seed. But like in my own story, there's a foundational seed that we can't forget. Before our soil can receive anything out of this book, it must start with receiving Jesus, the foundational seed. You see, in the parable of the sower, Jesus is not the sower. He's the seed. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Think about it. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and nothing was made. And nothing was made that was not through him. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Everything is made through Jesus. Okay? And just in case you didn't get it the first time, in verse 14, John explains more. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory and the glo as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and of truth. Now the parable is this. The seed is Jesus. So then who is the sower? Let me start by saying that the parable of the sower is really not about the sower. I mean, it starts with the sower in verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, but that's it. That's all that's said about the sower. 
Even though we call it the parable of the sower, as a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even mention the sower in his explanation in verse 11. Never mentions the sower. The parable is about the seed and the soil. So then the sower is he who carried and planted the seed, right? He who speaks the word and delivers Jesus to another. So in my own life, Karen and Paul Dean, the pastor and his wife, the military wives, all the chaplains in the chapel services, even my parents just taking me to church for, on special occasions. They were all sowers planting a seed. The sower did not need to know the condition of my soil, and every planted seed that the sower laid grew root, but when it did, the gardening still wasn't over. Who are my gardeners? You that raised your hand, what do we need for, for a good planted seed and good soil? I mean, I consider myself a subject matter expert, let me tell you. I have four kids, and in first grade, they all planted a seed that sat by my window for six weeks, right, to watch it grow. We needed sun, and we needed water. Yes, we learned that lesson very early on. I think you don't have to be a gardener to learn that, but that's what people were doing in my life, right, adding the sun and adding the water. And so it doesn't end with just planting a seed. Preparing my heart with good soil to receive wasn't the end game here. The sower sowed, and God used the water and the sunlight to grow my roots. Yes, I said God. Because like in the parable, the sower doesn't matter. Earlier I asked you to think of people that planted seeds in your life, and I will forever be grateful to those that took the time to invest in mine. But the reality of the matter is that they don't matter, right? Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He would be considered the largest sower amongst us. But even he knew and understood that the glory is God's alone. I mean, let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, starting at verse 5. Paul writes this, and he says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So you see, sowers are not that important. God can use anyone. I'm an amateur and I'm sitting up here, and God can use me. All he needs is an available vessel. God knows where you are. God knows where I am. Broken, still, a work in progress. But God alone can provide the increase. You know that it is for that reason that we pray at the beginning of every sermon. Because the sower knows that it is not them, but God who provides the increase. The prayer is how we welcome God into the message. For it is God who provides the increase. Our focus or desire for growth in our walk with the Lord should never depend on one person or one individual. It is God who provides the increase. It is not about the famous preacher or the bestseller Christian, Christian author that helps you overcome your soil. It is God who provides the increase. So listen, we're in the midst of merger talks with Grace of Laverne. You heard Kathy kind of give us a brief update, and some of us feel a little uneasy about that. Will it be Ken, Kyle, Don, 
Chris Jackson, one of his pastors up here providing the word every Sunday. But I just want to tell you that it doesn't matter. The sower doesn't matter. Okay? As long as we make sure that the seed remains the word of God, then it is God that provides the increase. So who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers of whom through you believed. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. One last point I'm going to make, because I'm looking at the clock and I'm running out of time, but when you come to the realization that it is not in your hands, but in God's, it really can be so freeing. You see, you don't have to have this life-changing message when you talk to someone else about God. We're, not, we're seed planters, water bearers, not growth suppliers. That belongs to God. As long as we stem from the same seed, we can share that seed. It is the seed that matters. If you have been born again and carry the word in your heart, what's the word? Jesus. Then it can grow and produce fruit and multiply. So at the beginning, I told you that I had three points I was going to tell you, and then I told you, right? And then I was supposed to tell you what I told you. So let me start with telling you what I told you. <laughs> Here are the three things that I want you to take with you today. First, become familiar with your garden. Recognize, are you by the wayside? Has coming to church become a routine? Is the word stolen from you as soon as church ends? Is being here an expectation? Or are you by the rocks? Where you receive the word with joy, but lack knowing where to start, and so it withers away. Do you own a Bible? Do you bring your Bible to church? Are you among the thorns, consumed with the cares of this world? Maybe there's hurt, anger, unforgiveness. Are you saying, not now, God? Or are you ready with a noble and good heart and good soil, saying, here I am, Lord, do with me what you will? What is the condition of your garden? The second point I want you to do is take time to recognize that the seeds have been planted in our lives. And remember that that foundation, that first seed begins with knowing Jesus, the word. Finally, go out and garden this week. Be a gardener. Be a sower. Plant a seed. It's as simple as sharing a song, a prayer, an invite. So as we think about Holy Week and these upcoming services, perhaps there's an opportunity to invite someone to come with you on Friday, on Sunday, Threaten to take them out to dinner after. But come yourself expecting. So I ask again, how many gardeners do we have in this house? How many people are willing to say yes to God and be sowers, plant a seed this week, and let him provide the increase? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up and lead us in worship again. And I invite you to have a conversation with God as we do this and close. Ask him to show you where or with whom you can plant a seed this week. And then evaluate your foundation along 
alone and ask him to increase in you today. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.